Hi, and welcome to episode one of Rock Talk for Industrial Components. My name is Bill Martin. And I'm Paul Seid. So, Paul, this is our first podcast for Rock Talk. Are you excited? I'm super excited, man. I couldn't wait till we got to this point. Um, really enjoyed doing episode zero just to kick it off. And now we're getting into the content. So I am super pumped. Awesome, man. So so what's going to be our first topic? First topic is one of those critical things you just got to have. And it's overloaded with overload. So we're going to be we're going to be talking about what is an overload? Why do you need it? What What is its facets in the industrial world? And and hopefully we'll uncover uh, some interesting points. And I'm sure I'm going to learn something. You know, it's kind of an interesting topic because, you know, the National Electric Code and actually other governmental bodies throughout the world say, you know, thou must have three things for any motor starter. You must have short circuit protection, some kind of controlling device like a contactor, but you must also have an overload relay. So, I mean, there's plenty of them to choose on the market, but, but how do you know which one to use? I don't know. That's why I'm here. And that's why we brought in an expert. And that is Jerry Watkins. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Hey, thanks a lot, Paul. Glad to be here. And I got to say, you couldn't pick a better first topic than overloads. Uh, Bill, you wanted to know, you know, how do you choose an overload? Well, you've already mentioned that they're required by local codes. But to, to really cut to the chase, overloads are there to protect your motor. And there are all kinds of different motor classes, all types of different motor insulation windings. And frankly, the induction motor is used in a wide variety of applications. So just to to give a little background, there's eutectic overloads. And eutectic is nothing more than a solder-based overload where the solder melts at a certain temperature that corresponds to the current and it protects the winding of the motor. There's a bimetallic uh, that also does a very similar method, except it's using bimetals instead of eutectics. Those are the two, I'm going to call them uh, traditional style. But there's also electronic. um, And electronic will talk probably in greater detail through the rest of this uh, discussion. Yeah, I just want to back you up one step. Why would anyone want to listen to you? What is your background and how do you know so much about this stuff? Oh, okay. I've been with the industrial control business for 30 plus years. I'm a portfolio manager is my current role. And um, I've dealt with overloads of the various kinds and, and have lived through the age of electromechanical devices now to the the newest, the, the solid state, which we're embroaching our third generation of product. You know, Jerry, I was, I was cleaning out some old documentation the other day, and uh, I found two old products. I saw the old 813 inverse time relay from, from Lindy Bradley himself back in uh, 1932. <laughs> and I also saw some old obsolescence notices too, like from the from the early 2000s as well. So you've been around for a while, Jerry? Oh yeah, I'm familiar with those, but I, I'm, I'm glad to say they were near the end of, end of their lives as I became part of Alan Bradley Rockwell Automation. But they're, they're all proven methods of 
doing that basic thing of protecting that motor winding. Because if you damage the motor winding, that gets expensive. You got to either have the motor rewound or replaced. And depending on your horsepower or KW of the motor, um, not only is it the cost of the motor, but the downtime. You know, it's a mechanical operation to remove a motor from an application. Now, speaking of downtime, you know, you mentioned there's three types of overload relays. There's a eutectic, bimetallic, and then the, the electronics. You know, they actually have quite a different price range, I've noticed, on the, the Alan Bradley catalog. You know, so how do you choose the, the right one? Because there's such a huge cost range. Sure. Well, the most accepted globally has been more the bimetal, uh, but that's driven a lot by IEC motors. Uh, depending on where you're at in the market, you might have multiple motor classes, a class 10, class 15, 20, or 30. And those insulation classes all correspond to the application the motor's in. So, for example, a class 30 overload is for very long accelerations. So that means the insulation on the motor is got a heavier insulation and you don't want nuisance trips. So it's going to have a longer time before the overload trips. So part of it's economy. The other part is based on your application. If you've got a important, let's say you've got this on a city uh, freshwater pump, you want to protect that motor because it's potentially the motors in an area where it's not very easy to get to if you needed to, to do maintenance on that motor due to winding damage. You know, I've, I've been to a couple of paper mills and, uh, They've told me that if there was ever any unexpected downtime at a paper mill, it cost them $100,000 an hour. You know, so, so what kind of overload relay would you choose for that extreme application? Well, typically on those, we haven't talked much about it yet. We'd start going to our more advanced electronic overloads because the basic overload, all it's sensing is current. But as you move up the scale, um, even to our entry-level overload, the um, E100, the new E100, that particular device has multiple trip classes. So that means it can be used in a wider range of applications. But also the advantage of being electronic is it's more efficient and most important, it's more accurate. You're not going to get with a eutectic or a bimetal, say a cooling or an artificial heating from the ambient temperature the overload's in. So it gives you a more precise protection for that motor. So if it's electronic, um, is there also some other information inside there besides just protecting the motor? I would think so, huh? Absolutely. Uh, the, the basic, even our basic E100 overload, you can get enhanced protection by adding a ground fault module or a jam module. So those are things that are now starting to protect the application even beyond the motor. If it's a conveyor and that conveyor would jam, a jam would react quicker than an overload so you can protect that belt and the driven system on the conveyor. Uh, also, with the advent of electronic and especially microcomputer-based ones, you can start to read currents across all three phases. Uh, we've got an E300, where you can even read voltage, power, 
empower factor and really get into precise control of that motor. You, you could even limit the number of starts per hour by programming. So the various tiers aligned to allow our customers to make the choice for themselves. If it's a basic exhaust fan, for example, where it's maybe less critical if you lose a motor, that's one where you'd probably have a basic overload E100 on it. But if that, that same fan was critical to the rest of the process and would shut it down, that's one where you'd want to look at something like an E300. Because not only can it be standalone, you can also connect it to Ethernet IP and you can start trending information and maybe get to a point where you don't get a nuisance trip. Maybe there's a call for maintenance. Um, maybe there's a worn belt and the fan's not turning at optimum speed. So those are the types of information you can get with various functionality of overloads. I get it. So really, like like a bathroom fan, you probably just want to use like a bimetallic or a low-cost electronic. But more like for the paper mill example, I said for a paper machine, um, because that cost of downtime is so large, maybe you want to use more of the, uh, the intelligent electronic-based ones to provide some information back to the to the operator. Absolutely. And, and what another feature that's important to our customers is the fact as you move up in the overload hierarchy to the highest tier, there's also inputs and outputs on that device. So you could you could bring an input from a circuit breaker, a contactor, or maybe even a valve, just another device that's in the application, and you can know the status. Or you can take an, an output and actually use it to drive the... Um, another piece of control equipment. So you get more and more logic, more and more capability um, as you move up the tier with the motor protection portfolio. Oh, so like for the E300, you got some inputs and outputs, huh? So so really you don't have to have that, that extra input-output card in your PLC. You can just wire it right to the E300 itself. Absolutely. And what's, what's even more important there is it can probably save you marshalling terminal blocks because that overload is residing right in that environment with the other control equipment that you're, um, you're wanting to monitor. So it, it makes for a very quick and convenient way to, um, to get to those other control devices. So Jerry, kind of the way I, I heard, heard what you explained was the basic ones, they're really just about opening up in protecting the load, the motor, the fan, whatever. When we get to that second tier, it it sounded to me like it's really about the reaction time or how important is it to damage that load. And if it's very important to make sure I don't damage that load, I want these more advanced or electronics. And then as we talked about taking, you know, our component portfolio into the future and that industrial revolution, it sounds to me like these, you know, you talked about the E300, but it sounds like, hey, these are actually smart devices. They're tracking some data around the application, not just about the load itself. And I might even get some preemptive information that says, 
yeah, your motor's not at risk or your load's not at risk right now, but hey, maybe it's not running optimally and there's some things you can try, or maybe we can even let you know that it's going to fail soon so that it can be maybe more of a planned downtime maintenance instead of a disruptive maintenance item. Is that is that kind of how the tiers worked out? You got it exactly, Paul. Um, again, the basic overload is just, it's looking at current and looking for a rise in current to protect the motor winding. But as you go up and you get into the, the E300 tier, let's say you get a, a voltage imbalance or an undervoltage condition. Um, not only is that protecting the motor, that might be protecting the control equipment as well from an undervoltage uh, situation. As I say, it even sounds like uh, you mentioned earlier that you can monitor voltage and uh, power factor and energy. It sounds like that, that high-end overload relay can also even act as a mini power monitor. You can even do some energy management with it. Absolutely, Bill. Well, the one thing I didn't mention, the other thing that you get more and more, I'm going to call them user accessories, not only can you take that information out of the cabinet and put it over an Ethernet IP, you also may choose to have a local display right on the front of the cabinet. So an operator locally can also see what's going on with that device in the um, actual application. So it's a very powerful, but yet we offered basic overload protection because that's that's still very high volume and our, our customers need and want a accurate, reliable overload, even for a one horsepower motor. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Jerry, what is the most common type and what's probably what the majority of, of applications out there are, are landing on in these tiers of eutectic, bimetallic, electronic? Okay, for, um, for the, uh, the Allen Bradley portfolio, it's clearly our electronic E100 basic overload. Um, years ago, we made a strategy to go and purposely do more electronic because that would eliminate, you would have less parts for our customer to select because it would have multiple trip classes in one device. So it can work on an IEC or a NEMA motor. Uh, the device actually is cooler because unlike a eutectic or a bimetal, you're not getting that heat loss from that resistive element that's in the circuit. So that, that means smaller cabinets to our customer, less heat to manage, um, higher ac- higher accuracy, and even something as simple as, well, maybe some applications, I've got a, a fan up in the rooftop, and if the overload trips, I don't want to reset it. We have features such as automatic that allow that overload to reset after a period of time and it's cooled down. So that's why our E100 is our most uh, popular offering. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like we're not only are we electronic, we've got these added uh, capabilities that is this next generation E100. And um, I think when we look towards the future, what kind of enhancements do we anticipate for the E100? Well, I think some of the things that are, are natural, it's going to be a lot like the E300. 
we will still have a separation between the products to make sure that, you know, there's a, there's an economic solution for our customer. Uh, but I see things such as communications of some sort going in even a basic uh, device. Uh, potentially in the future, there might be some things even maybe peer-to-peer between devices. Um, number of things that we look at uh, with our portfolio to, to keep it fresh and to be contemporary so that our, our customers continue to demand it. So, Jerry, I, I remember, this is going to date me, unfortunately. <laughs> I remember when I was an intern for Rockwell Automation when the SP1 released. And then I remember uh, later when the E1 Plus released. You know, now we have the, the third generation called the, the E100. Um, you know, what, what's the real difference between what we've been shipping a lot of, you know, the E1 Plus over the last, uh, boy, 12, 12, 15 years? Um, and now going to this third generation, the E100. What's what's different between the E100 and the and the E1 Plus? The the biggest piece uh, we've combined trip classes in the E100. E1 Plus was and it still is a very good product, but we've we've learned more and also with processing power increasing, uh, we're able to put more features that make it easier for our customers to select. So there's less part numbers. We maintained a five to one current ratio. So for example, because of that wide adjustment range, you might have four or five different bimetal overloads that you would need to select where it could be covered by one E100. So a lot of it is really to do with our learnings over the year and just advancements in technology such as microprocessors. And we, we continue to make both portfolios self-powered, which is absolutely essential because that is ease of hookup. You don't need to bring control power to either an E1 Plus or an E100. They self-power up the three-phase. How do they self-power? That sounds amazing. Well, it, it's just a matter of of sensing the current and the voltage that's passing through the overload, and we maintain uh, through the electronic circuit enough memory because memory is important. Even if it it powers down, that overload's got to know that it tripped, and it still needs time before it can be reset because it's just matching what's going on in the motor, making sure those motor windings are also cooled down before restarting. Oh, that's cool. So it's actually using the motor current itself to power itself. Correct. Ah, cool. Correct. Um, you know, the um, one of the customer comments that have come back for the E1 Plus over the years was, it's got its sidebar modules, which are kind of nice to add different protection features and some communication features, but it did increase the width of, of that overload. Um, and I know panel space is always a concern, especially the width. Were there some things that the E100 is doing to help improve the width? Sure. Um, one of the things we did is we've, we've made it such that now, instead of going to the side, a module like a ground fault or a jam can be mounted on the front of a contactor, and it's got a simple plug-in connection. 
in order to do that. We, we have an expandable version of the E100. Um, we, we call it the EF model that allows the, that expanded functionality without taking that extra panel with. So it's saving real estate for our customers. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah I think they'll, they'll be happy with that. So, Jerry, it sounds like we've got uh, we've got all types of overloads for just about every industrial application. But if somebody really wanted to get in depth to get more information or find out more about the products we talked about here, the E100, the E300, uh, what, where could they go get uh, some more information? Well, certainly, you know, AB.com. But what I would recommend is talk to your local distributor. We, we have experts in our local distributors or your local sales office uh, can give you a lot more information on our full portfolio of motor protection. Great. Hey, Jerry, I, I want to be the first to say thank you for bringing your your 30 plus years of experience to our podcast. Really appreciate your insights on overloads. And we certainly got a little overloaded with the overload topic here with you. And thanks for bringing that depth. Welcome, both gentlemen. And uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, that was great. Thank you, Jerry. We, we appreciate all your, your information. So, so Paul, what's, what's going to be our next topic for, for episode two? Man, you're getting ahead of me already. I'm still on the first topic, but our next topic <laughs> is going to be DC circuit protection made easy, of course, because that's what we're all about here, making it easy, making it smart, and helping our customers be more productive and get more out of their automation solution. So I am i don't know about you. I'm as excited about the episode two coming up. Um, again, we're going to put this out monthly, so we're going to have a new topic each month. Uh, and you can find us on most of your podcast outlets. Uh, please let us know if you like what you hear, if we were informative, if we helped you, if we gave you some insights that you were looking for, or if there's a topic that we're not covering or haven't covered yet and you want to hear about it, just let us know and we'll make sure we get that on the list of upcoming topics. All right, well, that sounds great, Paul. <laughs> I guess I guess I will see you next time. Sounds good. I look forward to it. And again, thank you, Jerry, for all your insights and information. We'll see you next time.